Hello and welcome to For the Children, a discussion of all ages comics and graphic novels and other works of sequential art that stretch beyond the standard superhero fare. This is the fourth in our series of WMQ Presents Pilot Podcasts. Uh, we hope you've been enjoying our little experiments in format, and uh, we, want to, we want you to let us know which of the pilot podcasts we've done the past few weeks. Uh, our son, Pete, although, I mean, obviously that would not always be about Pete Wisdom. Um, I mean, unless you really want it to be. Uh, <laughs> we we <laughs> could go on. <laughs> uh, Mother Box Memories, Animated Discussions, and this one. For the children. Uh, you'd like to see stick around. Uh, let, us, let us know in all the usual places you yell your feelings at us. <laughs> But today we're returning our focus to the comics of 2020 with a discussion of Dragon Hoops, the recently released graphic novel from Jean Luen Yang. Uh, you may remember him from such books as American Born Chinese and Superman Smashes the Clan. What's this book about, Dan? Uh, before, before I answer that question, I was really hoping you would read that in the Troy McClure voice. <laughs> we, don't have to, okay. we don't have to roll back to do it. I just wanted to, <laughs> to see if you pick up on the cue. Uh, I'm so focused on getting it right. I was not focused on picking up the absolutely delightful... Oh, you may remember him from such books as American Born Chinese and Superman Smashes the Clan. And Gladys the Groovy Mule. <laughs> and, and Hunchback on the Halfback. Um... Okay, you want the long version or the short version? Wait, you're doing that this week? Yes. The short version, then. A nerd learns to love basketball. More context now. <laughs> uh, Gene Luen Yang is a teacher at Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland, California. He's also Gene Luen Yang, the graphic novelist, uh, who's looking for his next project. He's heard a lot of, uh, about the school's boys' basketball team, which is nationally ranked and has produced some NBA players over the decades, but it also just keeps missing the state title. Uh, so Gene decides to follow the team over the course of their season and gets to know the coaches, the players, the history of the sport, and how it relates to marginalized groups. Uh, at the same time, he's wrestling with a personal decision to pursue comics full-time uh, after he gets an offer from DC to write Superman. Uh, you may remember this actually happened uh, in real life back at toward the end of the New 52. Uh, this all culminates in a state title game, which I won't spoil for you because this is an amazing book and you really should read it for yourself. Um... That is a an apt summary of a really incredible book. Uh, definitely. Um, so I'm like I'm like Gene at the beginning of this book, right? I, I have very little interest in sports, but I, I do work for a newspaper, and so I, I keep dissecting this book as a work of sports journalism. Uh, you know, good sports journalism doesn't just appeal to those who follow sports, right? It crafts a narrative, same as any other piece of storytelling that's compelling. Uh, this is the book equivalent of an ESPN 30 for 30, uh, which is appropriate because we're recording this the day the uh, the Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, is supposed to uh, start airing, and I actually want to watch that. Um, under my last executive editor, uh, we used to do these retreats every winter where we'd spend a day just talking about the craft of journalism. And uh, one year, uh, she asked us to bring in a piece of non-journalism we felt embodied good storytelling and to explain why. So I brought in Mr. Miracle number seven. Uh, that's the issue where Barda gives birth to Jacob. And I talked about nine panel grids and how they slow the pace of the book and they give the creators room to craft story beats and create parallel structures on a page and all that. And I'm going off on this tangent to say that that's what I see when I read this book. 
the, the whole pattern of alternating chapters on games, individual players, and history, uh, the motif of characters taking this step with this loud sound effect, STEP, all caps, that indicates a small movement leading toward a big change in their lives. Um, you know, there's this pie chart that we keep seeing that shows Yang's balance between his job, family, and comics. Uh, that one particularly hit home. Uh, you know, like, like if I were a teacher, I would teach this book as a piece of storycraft. Uh, Matt, Matt, what did you think? What were your kind of uh, gut impressions? Well, I mean, I'm a bit more familiar with Gene Luen Yang's work than you, um, which is part of why I suggested... Brag. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we all have our strong points. Truth, <laughs> truth. Yeah, and it's part of why I suggested this book uh, for the pilot for this show, partially because it was new and partially because I really enjoyed American Born Chinese. Um, I enjoyed his graphic novel of the Golden Age, Hero of the Green Turtle, uh, with Sonny Liu called Shadow Hero. And I once had a really interesting conversation about his work uh, with a staff member of the Museum of Chinese in America at a conference of theater, museum, and arts employees. And I love his style. His books are always structured so beautifully. And I love how deeply personal his work is, even if it's not as strictly semi-autobiographical as this book is and is a more fantastic book. Fantastic in the fantasy sense, not in the that's fantastic, awesome sense, although in this case it's both. Um, this book, so in the trenches of his real life, while still being a fictionalized version of it in small ways, the notes at the end of the book show how he moved things around and conflated events to make the story flow dramatically. I completely agree with you on how the style and the storytelling that Yang uses makes this a whole piece of art. Um, heck, I mean, I love the physical package. Uh, the cover is textured, textured like a basketball. Oh man! I, I, when I got the book, when I when it came in Amazon, I just started like feeling it for like five minutes. It was like I was in ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a neat little touch. Um, I respect how Yang was able to teach the history of basketball and never make it feel like a lesson because I'm about as much of a sports guy as you are. It is not my bag in general. I mean, I, I'll watch a, a Yankees game with my dad or with uh, my stepdad, not stepdad, my father, stepfather-in-law, Amber's stepdad. But I'm not, you know, that's, it's sports aren't my thing. But this kept that engaging. I've read other comics from some very, you know, major writers in the craft who are trying to teach you about history and you get bored because it feels like a lecture. Even the most in the weeds part of this book about the history of basketball never loses the fact that it's storytelling and it's supposed to be engaging. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, for, for somebody who reads this book and uh, wants more Yang, what should they read next? I know you mentioned American Born Chinese. Uh, Superman Smashes the Clan, I think, is coming out uh, as a collection uh, relatively soon. I, I believe that is doing collection in May. And DC has been continuing to release its collections uh, through book 
distributors during the the diamond closure so it should be available um at you know your well if you have bookstores that are open or your online book distributors i mean that superman smashes the clan was phenomenal i mean if you didn't see it out there because i know there's some retailers who are a little leery of carrying it because it's an odd format it was a three issue miniseries but they were the size of the dc zoom book so they were little slightly larger than digest sized trades uh probably 64 pages each Mm. um and it was Written by Jin Lun Yang and uh, with art from Guri Huru, who uh, I'm sure many of you out there know from books like uh, Unstoppable Wasp Volume 2, uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, which the first few volumes of that with the Guri Huru art were also written by Jin Lun Yang. If you're a fan of Avatar, from what I gather, they are well worth it. Um, I came to Avatar late and haven't really gotten to reading the comics yet, but I've heard they're great as well. But um, Superman Smashes the Clan, which is being adapted into a podcast radio play, I believe, sometime later this year, or that was the original plan before, you know, everything went cattywampus. So yeah. <laughs> who knows when that... I'm sure that project will still happen. Not sure when. Um, is one of my favorite books of late... Uh, 2019, early 2020, and uh, I would not be surprised if uh, at the end of the year it showed up in our best of 2020 advent calendar for me. Um, But that is going to be a great place to start. I would also suggest um, something I mentioned a little earlier on, uh, The Shadow Hero. This is written by Jin Lun Yang, art by Sunny Liu. Um, The Green Turtle was a fairly obscure Golden Age hero. Um, Probably would have faded away completely. Um, Like, a lot of those sort of minor Golden Age characters would have, except for the fact that the Green Turtle was created by a Chinese-American cartoonist named uh, Chu F. Hing, uh, which is, I'm sure, a pen name and... but. Uh, that's neither here nor there, uh, in 1944. And he was created to be the first Chinese superhero. But as you might imagine, uh, the racial politics of the time didn't make for his publishers thinking that was a great idea. Um, But he went out of his way to never show the turtle unmasked. So his ethnicity was still up in the air. So uh, back in the early 2010s, late 2000s, early 2010s, I believe it was 2012, but I forgot to write down the date, um, Yang and Sunny Liu gave the turtle uh, an origin and a secret identity and built this whole rich world around him and the, the racial issues of the time. And it's a phenomenal book. And it's great if you are looking for something that straddles the line in between Yang's superhero work and his more creator-owned work. Um, I haven't read Boxers and Saints, uh, the two-volume duology he wrote that was a National Book Award finalist. Um, It's on my list, but as, you know, 
we all have, I think, learned, especially you know, in these times when we're not getting new comics, we all have these lists, and these lists are never ending. <laughs> Truth, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, one thing I was thinking about as we, you know, kind of getting ready to record this episode was was sports comics in general. Like, they're a thing. Probably, you know, another blind spot of my reading. Not going to lie. You know, but I was just, you know, I, I was thinking the closest I've probably ever gotten to to reading a sports comic is probably just all those times the X Men played softball or basketball or football. Um, we did read that book um, with Stephanie Phillips. Though. Oh, that's kicking ice, of course. Kicking ice, yes. yes. <laughs> Which I just popped back into my head as we are talking here. Um, so that and that I get that qualifies as a sports comic. We, Absolutely, we, it's we, all we about can, girls hockey. <laughs> yeah, we we can check that one as having at least read some kind of sports comic. <laughs> that's true. I was also thinking about those like soft car porn baseball comics that Chuck Austin did <laughs> way oh, back when. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that they were definitely a thing yeah and now he but, produces Steven Universe and She-Ra <laughs> yeah you know hey you, you, you learn your, your, you learn your thing but yeah I mean no those X-Men comics and the, the, there's a Batman Superman I think it was a Secret Files or something which has a, a story of Bruce and Alfred driving cross country and breaking down in Smallville and Bruce looking out the car is uh, Pete Ross and Clark Kent play baseball. That, that That's the closest I could think of for a Batman related sports comic. I had a feeling that Batman has never played touch football with his extended family. <laughs> no, I think there's a, there's quite possibly a story there, but yeah, no, I, I don't think that one has, has ever happened. Um, yeah, the Justice League really doesn't. I, I have to, I'm trying to think. There's got to be somebody's is. You know, there were those old Marvel swimsuit specials. I bet they had images of superheroes in bathing suits playing volleyball. I bet there was beach volleyball in those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost positive there was. There was. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when I I think about sports comics, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is there is a huge genre of sports manga. That's a big thing mm -hmm. and as as i think we've said before manga tends to be somewhat of a blind spot for both of us uh, I mean, if it's not case closed or what's michael I, I i haven't read it although i've got at least some more sitting waiting to be read at some point in the future um just speaking of manga real quick uh i saw when i was reading uh matt's most recent bonus reading column was about the history of the stage in comics so adaptations of theater in comics or just comics set in the world of theater. And so he introduced me to the concept of manga Shakespeare. And I was just scrolling through some of those covers and holy crap, if you took the trade dress off, I don't know that I would know that I was looking at a Shakespeare comic. No. And it's, it's fascinating. And I regret not, I saw them once in one of those, you know, bargain book outlets. And I was like, Oh, I have the actual versions of these plays. And I, I know like half the dialogue. I don't need this. And now I kind of regret, read it because I kind of really want to know exactly what manga Macbeth looks like. I, I, I bet there's a lot more yelling and speed lines. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would, I would assume. I mean, my knowledge of sports manga is next to non-existent. The, the closest I come there is um, 
episodes of Smash Fiction where they talked about the the uh, figure skating anime Yuri on Ice, which apparently has a comic book adaptation, a manga adaptation. This is, you know, the, the reverse of the usual, a manga adapted into an anime. This was an anime that had, like, side stories done as a manga. Um, I mean, Boom does a, a fair share of um, sports comics. Yeah, I, I, you kind of jogged my memory in the show notes here. And, okay, so there's the avant-garde, which is basketball, but then they're, they're doing, they've got, like, fencing and dodgeball and... There are more, too, I think, but... I'm not, I mean, it seems like – I mean, that's really – the the boombox line has all sorts of, like, interesting little subgenres. I mean, there's been numerous, like, band-related comics, uh, Cody and the Creeps, and there's another one that isn't coming to my mind. And, you know, the, the – your girl detectives between Goldie Vance and Wicked Things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, uh, boombox provides all sorts of interesting – uh, stuff. I mean, and DC did have a strange sports stories anthology back in the the seventies when you know there was in the sixties and seventies when you had you know your uh, your weird western tales and your strange adventures. Uh, I I distinctly remember a cover of a gorilla sliding into home plate. Um, that is a strange sports story because you know the rules. If you've got a gorilla on the cover. It sells. Damn right. Now, is that where the Sportsmaster comes from? You know, he I, he popped into my head, too. I, I think he was a Golden Age character. I'm pretty sure he was a C-list Golden Age villain. Although, he'll be showing up in Star uh, the Stargirl show. And he's been a, a recurring villain in Young Justice. Where really? He's made, he's made much less lame in in Young Justice. He's not quite the gag he is in Brave and the Bold. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think of, because I think that's like the only time I've ever actually seen the Sportsmaster uh, is in Brave and the Bold. Yeah, no, they use him in Young Justice as uh, the father to Artemis, one of the members of the team, and to uh, Cheshire, too, I mean, which is not the comics continuity, but mm-hmm. it makes him... He's one of the, the agents of the light, the the big bads of the show, and he's they make him he doesn't I mean he's more using like pointy javelins he's not you know <laughs> hucking high lie balls and and stuff he he's more just a tough guy kind of like if Yellow Jacket Yellow Jacket well that's a different that's his son. if a Wildcat is a boxer uh-huh. he, this is more in line with that who's using a sports related talent. And he has, you know, as I said, javelins, and he's wearing kind of a hockey mask. But he's not quite as, like, you know, yuck, yuck, 60s Batman villain-themed. The only other sports comic uh, that I've read um, is a book from James Sturm, uh, who's become a really important creator in that, you know, drawn-in-quarterly sort of universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, from back, one of his earliest books back in 01 uh, called The Gollum's Mighty Swing which is set in the 20s and about a barnstorming Jewish baseball team whose big, um, whose cleanup hitter was uh, an African American uh, player who left the Negro Leagues and they dressed as a Gollum 
to you know play to the the theme of the Jewish ball team. Hmm. It's a fascinating book, and I mean, I read it back in two thousand one, so my detail memory of it is fairly slight. But I remember it being absolutely gorgeous, as Sturm's work tends to be. Um, but yeah, so th- that's a, that's about all I've got when it comes to sports comics. There's also just thinking of of uh, sports manga. There's also Check Please, which is a uh, hockey. Uh, comic, which uh, people who've read swear by it. So, uh, but uh, here's uh, got a little, little treat. I weren't able to get uh, Gene himself on the podcast, but uh, we were able to get. He was uh, kind enough to uh, answer some questions for us via email. So uh, we've got some stuff uh, right from Gene, and uh, I will share them with you now. Uh, so the first question we asked was, uh, you know, Dragon Hoops is, among other things, a work of sports journalism. What reading did you do as an avowed non-sports person to prepare yourself to write the book? And uh, he wrote, uh, your description of me as an avowed non-sports person is pretty accurate. Uh, I tried to make up for my lack of basketball knowledge by reading lots and lots of books. Uh, I read a bunch of uh, basketball nonfiction, uh, The Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam, uh, The Last Shot by Darcy Fry, Brave Dragons by Trim Yardley, uh, Yao Ming's Biography, uh, and others. Uh, Buzz Bissinger's Friday Night Lights isn't about basketball, but I read it when I was thinking through the structure of my book. Uh, I also read graphic novels when I was trying to figure out how to portray basketball in comics. Uh, Slam Dunk, the popular manga series by uh, Takihiko Inoue, uh, was probably my biggest inspiration. Uh, I read the first five volumes, and I also read Michael Jordan, Bull on Parade. Uh, all of those books were incredibly helpful. I watched a bunch of 30 for 30 documentaries, too. Uh, for all, I was reading and watching nothing but sports stories. But did he watch Space Jam? <laughs> You know, a lot of the ways the Bishop O'Dowd Dragons are just like the Toon Squad. <laughs> yeah, you know, coming up from behind, you know, it's it's in the long run, Sports Jam really, Space Jam really isn't that the foundational sports story of our generation. For God some help. reason, yes. Yeah, I say, God help me, I think it is. It's 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 Rudy, Space Jam, and uh, unnecessary roughness. The, you know, the one with Scott Bakula and Sinbad, where it's a college football team. <laughs> and Kathy right. Ireland is their kicker. Yeah, I, mean, I guess yeah, we missed the, you know, the, the, the boom of the baseball movie in the mid-80s. We were a little young for Major League and Bull Durham. I mean, not now, but at the time that they were coming out. We got, so, we got Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, the one where he's a baseball player in Japan. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Question, question two, before we continue showing our age. Uh, you became close with a lot of the team and uh, coaches in your time shadowing them. Uh, though you left Bishop O'Dowd at the end of the story and several years ago in real time, uh, do you still keep in touch with uh, or follow their careers? And he says, uh, it's been five years since that season. It's a long time. All the kids are now adults. Most of them have graduated from college. Uh, I hear about all the players from Coach Lou. Lou and I are still in touch. We text each other all the time. Uh, I'd seen him in person a week or two before everything shut down. Uh, I've been following Ivan Rab's career. Ivan Rab is one of two of sort of the the big all-star players on the team. Uh, He was drafted into the NBA by the Memphis Grizzlies, then got traded to the New York Knicks. He's on the next G League team now, and I'm of the opinion that the NBA has not yet given him the chance to show what he can do. 
course, nobody right now is getting the chance to show what they can do for obvious reasons. Uh, he was the only top 10 pick of his class, uh, Ivan, uh, to not be one and done. He chose to stay in college for his sophomore year, in part because he loved school. Uh, that's a reference to a lot of players going to college for their freshman year and then walking right into the NBA draft. Um, Ivan, he values education. Some folks uh, interpret his decision as a sign of weakness. I'm telling you it's not. Uh, it's evidence that he is a level-headed guy who has his value structure right. The NBA needs to give him a real shot. Uh, the two players that I'm still in touch with are uh, Jeevan Sandu and Arenze Cheaton. Uh, Jeevan and I will text every now and then. He recently got into medical school. Uh, Arenze was the only player who uh, was also one of my computer programming students. I did a virtual visit to Arenze's college class last year. He's now on the team at UC Riverside. I went to watch him play in December, and he absolutely dominated the court. It was really, really fun. Uh, one of the uh, question, question the third. Uh, one of the big refrains in Dragon Hoops is the step uh, the characters take when they're about to start down a new path in life. Uh, how far into the process were you when you decided on that motif? Was it while you were still gathering information or in the scripting process? Uh, the step motif came up pretty early on. I can't remember exactly when, but it was definitely early. It was inspired by what I saw during that season. Over and over again, I watched these teenage players step into uncertainty. Sports, like superhero comics, are a narrative tradition. Unlike superhero comics, however, the outcome isn't guaranteed. You could be the best player on the best team and still lose. The players that I was following knew that many of their most vivid memories would be made on that court. Some of the memories would bring them joy for the rest of their lives, and some would bring them embarrassment. Those are some pretty high stakes for a teenager. Even so, they had the courage to step out. Uh, and, of course, as we know, Gene had the courage to step into a full-time comics career. Which, you know, as he continues to write the Terrifics month in and month out, he's still with DC five years later. So, bully for him. What was the what was the name? What was the banner? It was when it was like right after Metal. It was like the Terrifics and Damage and uh, uh, Silencer. The not Age of Heroes. New Age. It was of the Heroes? New Age of Heroes. New Age of yeah. Heroes. <laughs> Different from Marvel's Age of Heroes right after Siege. But uh, yeah, Terrifics is the only one that survived that. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame. I, most of those books were were pretty pretty solid. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's you know Jeff Lemire is not. Those are some pretty big shoes to fill, and uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of what uh, Gene Lunyang's done with that book since he took over. And anyone who can do an entire arc narrated mostly in Bizarro speak, I give credit for the writing challenge of that, despite Bizarro speak always giving me such a headache. <laughs> and then there's Sabaro speak. Which is just just the <laughs> brain Morrison. Um, well, that man lives to give headaches. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, yes. Narrative headaches. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so question uh, number four um, was when it comes time to transform your interviews and observations into a story, did you take your notes, turn them into script, and then work from the script to create pages? Or did the notes become art pages that drove the script? How did the process on Dragon Hoops compare to work you do when you're uh, the writer, but not the artist? Um, Gene's response was, uh, during the season, I did, get a, uh, I did a lot of audio recording. I recorded interviews, pep talks, and the announcers at the games. I then transcribed a bunch of it, especially the interviews and the pep talks. 
the team also had a videographer named Zach Heil. Uh, he sent me the game tape. When I began working on the story, I read through my transcribed interviews and decided what to include. The big difference between working as a writer-artist and working as just the writer is that when I am a writer-artist, I'll often skip the script and go straight to the thumbnails. Thumbnails are small sketches of what every page looks like in the final book. I have to tell you, though, many times when I was drawing, I cursed my writer self. I wish I hadn't put in so many crowd scenes. <laughs> I love that bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, can, I, I can see that. I, I, you know, not everyone is George Perez who seems to relish the sheer volume of characters on a page. Yeah, but I'm sure also there were there were times where that was just thrust on him. Wolfman or Busick was like, ah, I'm going to make Perez earn his paycheck this uh, this issue around. <laughs> oh, I have. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of, you know, written written and drawn stuff by Perez and I'm not seeing as many giant crowd scenes at least on the regular well I you know all right, let's think about Wonder Woman for a second here uh to complete tangent number five but uh when he was writing and drawing that I mean it's not like Team Titans or Avengers where it's a team book or an ensemble and you have to do that thing where it's like let's get everybody for like an anniversary <laughs> issue yeah <laughs> Um, and and finally, uh, the fifth question uh, is, at the end of Chapter 9, you're wearing a Blue Beetle t-shirt. Do you really own such a shirt? And if so, where did you get it? Because I must own one. <laughs> um, the response being, that Blue Beetle t-shirt is a work of fiction. I have a Superman shirt and a Batman Superman shirt. I used to have a Zot shirt, which is also pictured in the book. No Blue Beetle shirt. DC Comics really ought to make one, though, because from our conversation, there's obviously demand. Okay, now, I, I, I can't remember this, and I should have looked it up, but I feel like at some point in uh, the King Garrett's Mr. Miracle series, Scott Free also had a Blue Beetle t-shirt. There's a distinct possibility. It's a great logo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also kind of looks a little bit like Blue Spider-Man, but here's, <laughs> here's my thing, though. In within the realm, okay. So it makes perfect sense for for you to want to own a Blue Beetle T-shirt, right? Within yes. the realm of the DC universe, within the fictionalized world, how popular a hero is Blue Beetle that people would want him on a T-shirt? You know what I mean? Like, okay, his buddy, Booster Gold, the, the, the glory-seeking superhero who started out being sort of like a celebrity superhero under Dan Jurgens in the 80s. Yeah, I picture people having his t-shirt, uh, you know, within within the world. But I wonder about Ted Cord having the same cachet. You know, I feel like... How do I put it? You know, they make jerseys going back to a sports metaphor here we go um, <laughs> they make jerseys for the entire team from you know your your jordans down to the i don't know i was gonna say don't say scotty pippen because that's the number two man on the team if we're going exactly. back to the 93 bulls no but we're going back you know they, they, you'll get the entire roster of a team because everybody is somebody's favorite Mm-hmm. And I mean, Beetle's been on the Justice League. He's been in the big leagues, so I'm sure he has fans. 
I mean, it's probably, you know, the, the equivalent of a chase shirt. It's not one that, you know, every planet Krypton restaurant and superhero memorabilia shop uh, stocks. But I, I'd wager, you know, everybody, you know, there's a fan base for, for Ted Cord. Okay. All right. Let's run. Let's run with this now because... I'm sorry. I just pictured somebody being like, do you, do you have any more Aztec the Ultimate Man jerseys? <laughs> Why, yes. <laughs> Check the clearance rack. Oh, man. They're, they're, right, they're right next to our Gilgamesh the Forgotten Ones. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who? <laughs> they unknown. Ah! <laughs> Gilgamesh the Forgotten One hanging out with Challengers of the Unknown in that void. <laughs> Call back to last week. <laughs> this is what you get when you li- when you have just the two of us, folks. It's going to devolve into in-jokes. Lots and lots of in-jokes. <laughs> this is why we need new comics to save us from ourselves. <laughs> oh, mercy. Um... So let's let's talk a bit because you know we when we first talked about uh, you know we wanted something that was kind of geared toward younger readers and I think I cursed a couple of times while we were recording this so whoops a doodle but um, <laughs> you know what what is the age group for this book because I don't necessarily look at this as as kids comics you know what I mean um, I'm certainly dissecting it as 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 a work of of you know more sophisticated fiction. But, I mean, it's definitely teening up, you know? I mean, the, the protagonists are, are a group of teens and they're adult coaches, but, you know, I, I'm thinking age range, like, 13 and up. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it touches on some fairly heavy topics. I mean, there, there's a good amount of discussion of race and racism. There is stuff in there that comes up about some of the scandals that you see in uh, Catholic schools Um, that is, you know, I wouldn't give it to, you know, Logan, your son yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think it wouldn't grab his interest as much either because these kids are older than him. But I think um, my niece, Petrove, who is 12, going on 13, about 12 and a half now, if I thought, you know, if, if, th- if she was at all interested in sports or comics, which neither of which are her thing, this would fit right into her age group. Uh, actually, I was thinking about passing my copy on to our uh, one of our news splash uh, sports editors uh, at work. I, I think he, you know, do- doesn't read comics at all, but I really think he would love the hell out of this book. So, I mean, I, I would definitely, I would, I would very much recommend this for people who are not interested in comics, who might be interested in sports, but you know, really just want to read a good story. Yeah, absolutely. It- this is a great book and I think it's you know 
Lord knows what everything is going to look like in the the coming year when it comes to stuff like this, but I I can easily see this book as an awards uh, a comics awards darling because it is a really interesting, really well-told story and a kind that we don't see a ton of in comics produced here in the States. Oh yeah, no, 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 definitely give give this man an uh, an Eisner nomination, no doubt. Uh, absolutely, I mean it. It's it is a really it's really worth your time. And by the way, for anyone who you know looks it up and is a little worried, you know, a, a twenty five dollar price point might seem like you know a higher price point if you're used to buying, you know. Granted, if you're buying floppies, guess what, folks? Yeah, the the, the, the we know the price the the cents per page on a graphic novel is always better but this is a hefty book it's a, it's a hardcover and it's the thickness of of a novel yeah it's well over 400 pages long and is it reads really smoothly it reads quickly without feeling like you're blowing through it and not, you know, you don't feel like you're not getting all the bang for your buck. You definitely feel satisfied by the end of this story. I I devoured this in like a week and change and it ate like a meal. Yes. I, I was trying to sort of do a chapter a day and then I got to a little past the halfway point and was like, all right, now I'm just sitting down and I am going to just read the last 200 pages in the course of a, a, a Saturday afternoon because I can't put this down anymore. Yeah. So that is, that is a full throated recommendation from, uh, from, from both of us, non-basketball folk. Um, and I probably I I told I told my wife I I do want to watch that Jordan documentary after after reading this book too. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm curious to if I can find more stuff about the history, some of that history of basketball stuff that he talked about because it's he made the the history of basketball seem really interesting to me, and so it's like, kind of like, huh? I'd like to hear more about the the period when there weren't as many professional leagues and it was all these sort of barnstorming teams, you know, traveling the country. That, that, that seems like interesting stuff. And, that, and I, I love the way that it, it talks about specifically like how the game was picked up by women, how the game became popular in China, how, uh, you know, people of color worked, ended up working their way into the, into the league uh, you know, all that stuff was fa- fascinating and, and just presenting it through that lens of, you know, this is how basketball, you know, helped marginalize groups. I thought was great. There's a section about the origin of the Harlem Globetrotters, which, you know, is fascinating as, as they're such a, a pop culture relic isn't the right word because relic has that indication of it being something in the past and the Globetrotters are still playing now but you know well not right now but well yes the 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 the, the general 
they are still an active franchise, even if they are not actively playing at this moment. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not like the the 80s came and they were like, okay, we're, we're meeting Scooby-Doo and we're going to Gilligan's Island and then we're done. I mean, I, I uh, back in the many, 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 many years ago when I was uh, nine or ten, I saw a Globetrotters game with, you know, family friends and it was it was a, a neat thing to see but it's it's just one of the seizures like huh i didn't realize there was that kind of history with that that franchise and a thousand years from now they're all uh, nobel physicists oh god yes oh futurama how i love you Oh, Ethan Bubblegum Tate. <laughs> Watch Futurama, kids. Believe me, it, 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 it's 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 really. If you haven't, it's worth it. Yeah, you'll learn something, <laughs> and you'll get to that one episode, and you'll just cry and cry and cry. Yeah, the, the the saddest single saddest episode of television ever made. You're talking about the one with the robot devil, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Not not at all. That was a perfect about... end for a show, and then it just kept going. Well, it's not that it kept going; it came back and then kept going for like another uh, few years. Three, four, three or four years. Uh, well, the Jurassic. I'm thinking of Jurassic Bark. Seymour the dog. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, the one with the robot devil is wonderful. That one gets you kind of in. The, that one gets you in the feels too. The final final episode was also quite good, actually. Um. I can't remember the title of it, but when it came back, it did. So, there were still some really solid episodes. This is a real tangent. Okay, we're 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 veering back because I, I, you, you don't need to hear me talk about Futurama because I can I can go on. Listen, what is one of the first things we tell every single guest <laughs> before we record? Tangents are welcome. <laughs> well, you know what? Someday we will have my. Our, our good friend and manager of Dewey's Comic City, John Bush, on here, and believe me, you can get me and John going on Futurama, and, and we'll we'll coast for a while before segueing into Archer and Venture Brothers and Rick and Morty. So we we can have a long discussion about the the best of Adult Swim animation. I, I'm reading that Venture Brothers uh, Dark Horse book right now, so I, I I might be at that point very very soon. <laughs> I, we we well, John would happily come on and discuss the the dark the Dark Horse Venture Brothers book and similar things. All right, all right. So we got a book, John. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just having post show discussions on air. Yeah. Listen, guys, we've had a lot of fun, but that is it for this week's show. Uh, as always, you can listen to WMQ Presents on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ Presents and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. For just a dollar donation, get to early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic book in the mail from my collection. That's value, guys! <laughs> Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Modrzinski from MojoWorks.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's recently debuted Spider-Woman series, and Saren. 
You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. And me at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead, and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comic news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next week. 